Chapter 15 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Recker. October 21st, 2021, Westford, Massachusetts. Consuelo by Georges Sand. Chapter 15. I must confess that I am completely enchanted with her, said Count Zustiniani to his friend Barbarigo, as they conversed together on the balcony of his palace about two o'clock the same night. That is as much as to say that I must not be so, replied the young and brilliant Barbarigo, and I yield the point, for your rights take precedence of mine. Nevertheless, if Corilla should mesh you afresh in her nets, you will have the goodness to let me know that I may try and win her ear. Do not think of it if you love me. Corilla has never been other than a plaything. I see by your countenance that you are but mocking me. No, but I think that the amusement is somewhat serious which causes us to commit such follies and incur such expense. I admit that I pursue my pleasures with so much ardor that I spare no expense to prolong them. But in this case, it is more than fancy. It is passion which I feel. I never saw a creature so strangely beautiful as this Consuelo. She is like a lamp that pales from time to time, but which at the moment when it is apparently about to expire sheds so bright a light that the very stars are eclipsed. Ha! Huh said Barbarigo, sighing. That little black dress and white collar, that slender and half-devout toilet, that pale, calm face, at first so little striking, that frank address and astonishing absence of coquetry, all become transformed, and as it were, grow divine when inspired by her lofty genius of song. Happy Zustiniani, who hold in your hands the destinies of this dawning star, would I were secure in the happiness which you envy. But I am discouraged when I find none of those passions with which I am acquainted and which are so easy to bring into play. Imagine, friend, that this girl remains an enigma to me even after a whole day's study of her. It would almost seem from her tranquility and my awkwardness that I am already so far gone that I cannot see clearly. Truly you are captivated, since you already grow blind. I, whom hope does not confuse, can tell you in three words what you do not understand. Consuelo is the flower of innocence. She loves the little Anzaletto, and will love him yet for some time. But if you affront this attachment of childhood, you will only give it fresh strength appear to consider it of no importance, and the comparison which she will not fail to make between you and him will not fail to cool her preference. But the rascal is as handsome as Apollo. He has a magnificent voice and must succeed. Corilla is already crazy about him. He is not one to be despised by a girl who has eyes. But he is poor and you are rich. He is unknown, and you are powerful. The needful thing is to find out whether they are merely betrothed or whether a more intimate connection binds them. In the latter case, Consuelo's eyes will soon be opened. In the former, there will be a struggle and uncertainty which will but prolong her anguish. 
I must then desire what I horribly fear, and which mends me with rage when I think of it. What do you suppose? I think they are merely betrothed. But it is impossible. He is a bold and ardent youth, and then the manners of those people. Consuelo is in all respects a prodigy. You have had experience to little purpose, dear Zustiniani, if you do not see in all the movements, all the looks, all the words of this girl, that she is pure as the ocean gem. You transport me with joy. Take care, it is folly, prejudice. If you love Consuelo, she must be married tomorrow, so that in eight days her master may make her feel the weight of her chain the torments of jealousy, the ennui of a troublesome, unjust, and faithless guardian. For the handsome Anzoletto will be all that. I could not observe him yesterday between Consuelo and Clorinda without being able to prophesy her wrongs and misfortunes. Follow my advice, and you will thank me. The bond of marriage is easy to unloose between people of that condition, and you know that with women, love is an ardent fancy which only increases with obstacles. You drive me to despair, replied the Count. Nevertheless, I feel that you are right. Unhappily for the designs of Count Zustiniani, this dialogue had a listener upon whom they did not reckon, and who did not lose one syllable of it. After quitting Consuelo, Anzoletto stung with jealousy and had come to prowl about the palace of his protector in order to assure himself that the Count did not intend one of those forcible abductions then so much in vogue and for which the patricians had almost entire impunity. He could hear no more, for the moon, which just then rose over the roofs of the palace, began to cast his shadow on the pavement and the two young lords, perceiving that a man was under the balcony, withdrew and closed the window. Anzoletto disappeared in order to ponder at his leisure on what he had just heard. It was quite enough to direct him what course to take in order to profit by the virtuous counsels of Barbarigo to his friend. He slept scarcely two hours, and immediately when he awoke, ran to the court Minelli. The door was still locked, but through the chinks he could see Consuelo dressed, stretched out on the bed and sleeping, pale and motionless as death. The coolness of the morning had roused her from her swoon, and she threw herself on the bed without having strength to undress. He stood for some moments looking at her with remorseful disquietude, but at last becoming uneasy at this heavy sleep, so contrary to the active habits of his betrothed. He gently enlarged an opening through which he could pass his knife and slide back the bolt. This occasioned some noise, but Consuelo, overcome with fatigue, was not awakened. He then entered, knelt down beside her couch, and remained thus until she awoke. On finding him there, Consuelo uttered a cry of joy, but instantly taking away her arms, which she had thrown round his neck, she drew back with an expression of alarm. You dread me now, and instead of embracing, fly me, said he with grief. Oh, I am cruelly punished for my fault. Pardon me, Consuelo, and see if you have ever cause to mistrust your friend again. I have watched you sleeping for a whole hour. Pardon me, sister. 
It is the first and last time you shall have to blame or repulse your brother. I shall never more offend you by my hastiness and ill-temper. Leave me, banish me, if I fail in my oath. Are you satisfied, dear and good Consuelo? Consuelo only replied by pressing the fair head of the Venetian to her heart and bathing it with tears. This outburst comforted her, and soon after falling back upon her pillow, I confess, said she, that I am overcome. I hardly slept all night. We parted so unhappily. Sleep, Consuelo, sleep, dear angel, replied Anzaletto. Do you remember the night that you allowed me to sleep on your couch while you worked and prayed at your little table? It is now my turn to watch and protect you. Sleep, my child. I shall turn over your music and read it to myself whilst you repose an hour or two. No one will disturb us before the evening. Sleep then and prove by this confidence that you pardon and trust me. Consuelo replied with a heavenly smile. He kissed her forehead and placed himself at the table while she enjoyed a refreshing sleep mingled with sweet dreams. Anzaletto had lived calmly and innocently too long with this young girl to render it difficult after one day's agitation to regain his usual demeanor. This brotherly feeling was, as it were, the ordinary condition of his soul. Besides, what he had heard the preceding night under the balcony of Zastiniani was well calculated to strengthen his faltering purpose. Thanks to my brave gentleman, he said to himself, you have given me a lesson which the rascal will turn to account just as much as one of your own class. I shall abstain from jealousy, infidelity, or any weakness which may give you an advantage over me. Illustrious and profound Barbarigo, your prophecies bring counsel. It is good to be of your school. Thus reflecting, Anzaletto, overcome by a sleepless night, dozed in his turn, his head supported on his hand and his elbows on the table. But his sleep was not sound, and the daylight had begun to decline as he rose to see if Consuelo still slumbered. The rays of the setting sun streaming through the window cast a glorious purple tinge on the old bed and its beautiful occupant. Her white mantilla she had made into a curtain, which was secured to a filigree crucifix nailed to the wall above her head. Her veil fell gracefully over her well-proportioned and admirable figure, and bathed in this rose-colored light as a flower which closes its leaves together at the approach of evening, her long tresses falling upon her white shoulders, her hands crossed on her bosom as a saint on her marble tomb. She looked so chaste and heavenly that Anzaletto mentally exclaimed, Ah, Count Sustiniani, that you could see her this moment and behold the prudent and jealous guardian of a treasure you vainly covet beside her. At this moment, a faint noise was heard outside, and Anzaletto, whose faculties were kept on the stretch, thought he recognized the splashing of water at the foot of Consuelo's ruined dwelling, although gondolas rarely approached the court Minili. He mounted on a chair and was by this means able to look through a sort of loophole near the ceiling, which looked toward the canal. He distinctly saw Count Zustiniani leaving his bark and questioned the half-naked children who played on the beach. 
He was uncertain whether he should awaken his betrothed or close the door, but during the ten minutes which the Count occupied in finding out the garret of Consuelo, he had time to regain the utmost self-possession and to leave the door ajar so that anyone might enter without noise or hindrance. Then reseating himself, he took a pen and pretended to write music. He appeared perfectly calm and tranquil, although his heart beat violently. The Count slipped in, rejoicing in the idea of surprising his protege, whose obvious destitution he conceived would favor his corrupt intentions. He brought Consuelo's engagement ready, signed along with him, and he thought, with such a passport, his reception could not be very discouraging. But at the first sight of the strange sanctuary in which this sweet girl slept her angelic sleep under the watchful eye of her contented lover, Count Zustiniani lost his presence of mind, and tangled his cloak, which he had thrown with a conquering air over his shoulders, and stopped between the bed and the table, utterly uncertain whom he should address. Anzaletto was revenged for the scene at the entrance of the gondola. My lord, he exclaimed, rising as if surprised by an unexpected visit, shall I awaken my betrothed? No, replied the count, already at his ease, and affecting to turn his back that he might contemplate Consuelo. I am so happy to see her thus, I forbid you to awaken her. Yes, you may look at her, thought Anzaletto. It is all I wished for. Consuelo did not awaken, and the Count, speaking in a low tone and assuming a gracious and tranquil aspect, expressed his admiration without restraint. You are right, Zotto, he said with an easy air. Consuelo is the first singer in Italy, and I was wrong to doubt that she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Your Highness thought her frightful, however, said Anseletto maliciously. You have doubtless complained to her of all my folly, but I reserve to myself the pleasure of obtaining pardon by so honorable and complete an apology that you shall not again be able to injure me in recalling my errors. Injure you, Signor Count? How could I do so even had I the wish? Consuelo moved. Let us not awaken her too suddenly, said the Count and clear this table that I may place on it and read her engagement. Hold, he said when Anzaletto had obeyed him. Cast your eyes over this paper while we wait for hers to open. An engagement before trial? It is magnificent, my noble patron. And she is to appear at once? Before Corillo's engagement has expired? That is nothing. There is a trifling debt of a thousand sequins or so due her, which we shall pay off. But what if Correa shall cabal? We will confine her under the leads. For heaven, nothing stops your highness. Yes, Zoto, replied the count coldly. Thus it is. What we desire we do toward one and all. And the conditions are the same as for Correa? the same conditions for a debutante without name or reputation as for an illustrious performer adored by the public? The new singer shall have even more, and if the conditions granted her predecessor do not satisfy her, she has only to say a word, and they shall be doubled. 
Everything depends upon herself, continued he, raising his voice a little as he perceived that Consuelo was awake. Her fate is in her own hands. Consuelo had heard all this partially, through her sleep. When she had rubbed her eyes and assured herself that she was not dreaming, she slid down into the space between the bed and the wall, without considering the strangeness of her position, and after arranging her hair, came forward with ingenuous confidence to join in the conversation. Signor Count, said she, you are only too good, but I am not so presumptuous as to avail myself of your offer. I will not sign this engagement until I have made a trial of my powers before the public. It would not be delicate on my part. I might not please. I might incur a fiasco and be hissed. Even should I be hoarse or unprepared or even ugly that day, your word would be still pledged. You would be too proud to take it back and I to avail myself of it. Ugly on that day, Consuelo, you ugly, said the Count, looking at her with burning glances. Come now, he added, taking her by the hand and leading her to the mirror. Look at yourself there. If you are adorable in this costume, what would you be covered with diamonds and radiant with triumph? The Count's impertinence made Anzoletto gnash his teeth but the calm indifference with which Consuelo received his compliments restrained his impatience. Sir, said she, pushing back the fragment of looking-glass which he held in his hand, do not break my mirror. It is the only one I ever had, and it has never deceived me. Ugly or pretty, I refuse your liberality, and I may tell you frankly that I shall not appear unless my betrothed be similarly engaged. I will have no other theater nor any other public except his. We cannot be separate, being engaged to each other. This abrupt declaration took the Count a little unawares, but he soon regained his equanimity. You are right, Consuelo, replied he. I never intended to separate you. Zoto shall appear with yourself. At the same time, I cannot conceal from you that his talents, although remarkable, are much inferior to yours. I do not believe it, my lord, said Consuelo, blushing as if she had received a personal insult. I hear that he is your pupil, much more than that of the maestro I gave him. Do not deny it, beautiful Consuelo. On learning your intimacy, Porpora exclaimed, I am no longer astonished at the certain qualities he possesses which I was unable to reconcile with his defects. Thanks to Senor Professor, said Anzaletto with a forced smile. He will change his mind, said Consuelo gaily. Besides, the public will contradict this dear good master. The dear good master is the best judge of music in the world, replied the Count. Anzaletto will do well to profit by your lessons. But we cannot arrange the terms of his agreement before we have ascertained the sentiments of the public. Let him make his appearance, and we shall settle with him according to justice and our own favorable feelings toward him, on which he has every reason to rely. Then let us both make our appearance, replied Consuelo, but no signatures, no agreement before the trial, 
on that I am determined. You are not satisfied with my terms, Consuelo? Very well, you shall dictate them yourself. Here is the pen. Add, take away, my signature is below. Consuelo seized the pen, Anzaletto turned pale, and the Count, who observed him, chewed with pleasure the end of the ruffle which he twisted on his fingers. Consuelo erased the contract and wrote upon the portion remaining above the signature of the Count. Anzaletto and Consuelo severally agreed to such conditions as it shall please Count Zustiniani to impose after their first appearance, which shall take place during the ensuing month at the theater of San Samuel. She signed rapidly and passed the pen to her lover. Sign without looking, said she. You can do no less to prove your gratitude and your confidence in your benefactor. Anzaletto had glanced over it in a twinkling. He signed. It was but the work of a moment. The Count read over his shoulder. Consuelo, said he, you are a strange girl, in truth an admirable creature. You will both dine with me, he continued, tearing the contract and offering his hand to Consuelo, who accepted it, but at the same time requested him to wait with Anzaletto in his gondola while she should arrange her toilet. Decidedly, she said to herself when alone, I shall be able to buy a new marriage robe. Then she arranged her muslin dress, settled her hair, and flew down the stairs, singing with a voice full of freshness and vigor. The Count, with excess of courtesy, had waited for her with Anzaletto at the foot of the stair. She believed him further off and almost fell into his arms, but suddenly disengaging herself, she took his hand and carried it to her lips after the fashion of the country, with the respect of an inferior who does not wish to infringe upon the distinctions of rank. Then turning, she clasped her betrothed and bounded with joyous steps toward the gondola without awaiting the ceremonious escort of her somewhat mortified protector. End of chapter 15